0: Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thank you for being with us. This segment is brought to you by my company, Bull Realty, for customized asset and occupancy solutions reach out to me directly my email is michael at bullrealty.com. well we have a special show for you today every year for many years we've been covering the emerging trends in real estate this is an incredible report it's uh, been put out for 43 years it's led by the, the leaders of putting this group this out are ULI and PwC and they interview like 2000 commercial real estate folks and economists and analysts and, and principals They start doing these interviews in July of 2021 and end it at Labor Day. And then the experts there, which there's many involved, put out this incredible report. We'll put a link to it. What we'd like to do today is kind of go over some of the highlights from the report and think about what it could mean for you as a viewer or listener. What are some opportunities that might be out there? What are some favorite sectors? What's the future of, of office, retail, central business district, impact of work from home, some risk factors impacting real estate, some of the trends, location preferences, technologies impact, um, and what to, just what to expect moving forward. Please welcome my guest, Byron Carlock. He's real estate practice leader with PwC. Byron, it's good to talk to you again.
1: Thank you, Michael. It's always a pleasure to be on your show. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me today.
0: Well, thank you. And this report is pretty, pretty massive. It's pretty awesome. It's, uh, it's an excellent read. And I think anybody that's in the commercial real estate industry in any way should uh, check out this. And let's talk about um, some of the highlights. And you know, there's so much change going on right now. If you looked at the, the word change, or maybe surprise, or a people, what is the number one thing that you think uh, people ought to think about when they look at this, read this report?
1: Well, I think this year, eighty-two percent of the respondents said the number one issue we should think about in investment and development is is the impact of climate change and ESG on our on our sector. Uh, I think for years the industry uh, knew it was an issue was imp- that it was important, but I think this year it really took top of mind. Um, status in the report, and so we've spent some time talking about this.
0: And what trend are there on that aspect, ESG, is there a sector that's most vulnerable?
1: Well, if you look at the uh, impact of concrete and steel on carbon emissions, the real estate industry comes, I believe, to, second only to the airline industry in emissions. I I find it ironic though, as you know as you may remember, I grew up in the Trammell Crow organization and Mr. Crow back in the seventies made us all wear bumper stickers on our cars that said trees are the answer and put trees into our budgets to offset the impact of the steel and concrete that we were pouring on new developments, realizing that we needed to offset that with planting more trees. He was he was into ESG before ESG was even a an issue or even a discussion point. And today, I think there are ways we can be more thoughtful about um, the way we repurpose real estate before we rebuild. This will play in, interestingly, to the new infrastructure bill, because there will be literally at least $1.2 trillion spent on infrastructure as we begin to reimagine our cities and adding, and we've been talking about this in the report for several years, the importance of green space adding to quality of life. Well, green space also adds to... The reduction of carbon emissions, and so I think this is going to be a cycle Michael of um, of development and redevelopment as we repurpose existing real estate and consider building some new, but with an eye toward offsetting those carbon emissions.
0: You know, I think everyone is concerned about infrastructure. Some people concerned about the cost. Some people, most people, concerned about hey, we really need it. When you look at logistics uh, today, uh, that, that kind of j- the, that problem kind of jumps out. What do, does your report kind of give us? Is a trend there and an impact, uh, and, and what might happen?
1: Well, I think it's 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 still prognostication at this point because when the report was published, they obviously the infrastructure bill has not yet passed. It's still being discussed on the Hill in the two tranches of, you know, deferred maintenance infrastructure and capital infrastructure and then social infrastructure. It's clear, however, that the intent of this next infrastructure bill is, it's, it's titled Build Back Better. I think the real goal is to improve the cityscapes and quality of life of our cities with greater connectivity, while also... Um, Repairing and replacing aged and, uh, faulty infrastructure that needs attention that's been deferred really across several, ge- several generations now. There's not been a massive infrastructure bill really since, um, the highway bill in the fifties. And then we've, uh, needed to continue to invest in our infrastructure and have frankly under invested for probably the last 30 years. So roads and bridges and tunnels for sure. Uh, water, electricity, protecting the grid and improving connectivity for sure. <clears throat> but then also doing it with an eye toward resilience and sustainability of our cities, addressing the waterfront, addressing air quality, and all of that comes together. And sadly, it's very expensive, but, uh, it's, it's also very important.
0: The fact that there's a bill in the works. Is that a boom for real estate, the future of commercial real estate?
1: Michael, historically, the multiplier on infrastructure expenditure has been 1.2 to 2 times, depending on what it is. You can only, you know, quickly think about when an airport is built or expanded in a city, what happens around it with respect to the logistics industry and the hotel industry. When roads are built or a ring road is done, it basically opens up new terrain. For everything from retail to housing, uh, when roads and bridges are improved such that traffic can move more easily, uh, it also gives room for, uh, expansion along those travel routes. So yes, the, the infrastructure expenditures of the past have often been a, a boon to the real estate industry. This time we're also, we are facing a boon at a time where costs are already very high. And so the competition for labor, the competition for concrete and steel, um, lumber prices have moderated some, but they had really spiked during the pandemic. And the disruption we're continuing to see in the supply chain for component parts ranging from um, basic raw materials to windows, doors, plumbing fixtures uh, may exacerbate the, um, the cost and minimize the multiplier given, given, um, the current state of affairs. We are beginning to see some improvements to the supply chain. I hope they continue knowing our political cycle. This infrastructure bill may not pass as quickly as the administration is hoping it will. So maybe that'll give some time for the supply chain to level out before we experience a, a further spike in costs. But we do have a labor issue we've got to address. As we see the private sector competing with public sector expenditure,
0: and you mentioned climate change, let's touch on that for a moment. What are some opportunities and risk related to that?
1: Well, you're watching the industrial sector respond very interestingly with you know planting more trees around industrial warehouses, putting solar systems on industrial rooftops uh we're We're looking at uh, building design and and platinum lead certification that looks at every component part of the building's um, materials from windows, lighting systems, plumbing systems, uh, HVAC controls, so that the temperature control is is relevant to the capacity of any floor at any time. And I I think our systems and our technology are getting better and smarter. In the office sector, 80% of our stock was built during or before the 1980s. So there's a huge retrofit opportunity for existing stock. Some of it will be too expensive to retrofit and the buildings will be repurposed to other uses or even demolished. Just like we saw in the retail sector, uh, going into the pandemic, the pandemic has only accelerated the transformation of retail where underutilized retail is being repurposed or demolished. So I think it's the, it's the circle of life, if you will. We're, um, facing the need to upgrade the systems and quality of, our stock across many sectors, uh, but you look at the impact on office and retail as the most demonstrable, and you see the growth in industrial, really trying to be creative in the way they offset carbon use uh, in their construction and rooftop usage.
0: So, is the opportunity there on on climate change, to, uh, the ability to attract tenants and 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 have the economies of of, uh, of this technology? And is the risk of just not not doing it, ignoring it, and and losing tenants and losing value? Is that the risk?
1: Many constituents in the supply in the value chain of real estate are demanding ESG compliance. Uh, number one, on the investor side, in order to invest, it's already a mandate from European investors that their investments in real estate be uh, in some level of compliance with ESG standards, and they have to report that back to their Uh, stakeholders, especially if it's a European pension fund. There is voluntary compliance for ESG reporting uh, being proposed uh, by the FASB, the SEC, and the PCAOB, such that discussion of your climate policy is part of your financial statement disclosure. And that will only become a higher topic and maybe even regulated in the future. But then on the tenant side, as you pointed out, many tenants see ESG compliance as table stakes, for their decision to sign a lease or not, and um, mm-hmm. it's driven not only by their own uh desires to be socially responsible, but employees are asking questions around is this building lead compliant is are there e s g considerations in the operations of this building? Is our landlord moving toward a net zero mandate um, to follow the policies of of governments and industry toward you know, 2040, 2050 type of compliance. And so you're seeing everything from uh, attention to construction detail to attention to operating expense detail as we try to move toward um, uh, net zero.
0: We're talking with Byron Carlin, real estate leader with PwC, about the emerging trends in real estate 2022. And want to hit on some of the kind of the big picture items from these interviews and these this report, which is incredible, there'll be a link at our website serieshow.com. What about investor confidence, Byron, in commercial real estate and real estate compared to other alternatives?
1: Well, so the optimism is higher than it was in two thousand nineteen. This year, as you look at as you look at the graph of of um, sentiment toward the industry in twenty twenty two, as we go in there, as we move toward twenty twenty two. And it's, it's, um, I think it's because of several things. We, this, is, this is the first recession, uh, that we're coming out of in, since the, since recessions have been tracked, that wasn't in some way the fault of the real estate industry with a supply and demand imbalance. We had a, we had a supply imbalance going into the pandemic, and it only accelerated during the pandemic. Everything from supply of homes to supply of space, except for in the hospitality, retail, and now office spaces. We are basically undersupplied, and in even in office, you could argue we're undersupplied in what I call the Class A-plus relevant space that is already proving its resilience with respect to ESG compliance, but also the open floor plates and amenitization that we've seen become more important in office. So the demand is high from the tenant side. The demand is high from the investor side as more and more investors have increased their allocation to real estate. So the historic allocation for um real estate has been in the you know three to seven percent range, depending on the appetite of the investor. That that allocation in the in portfolios of investors has gone up to really ten to fourteen percent. And so real estate is is now a very important institutional attribute to portfolio allocation considerations. And so there's a lot of capital. So if you think about the industry's mood toward that, I mean my goodness. High demand, abundant equity, and relatively cheap debt is just a a developer and investor's dream for increasing one's allocation to such an attractive hard asset category.
0: Good point. What is the outlook, though, for inflation and potential interest rates moving forward?
1: So I think we're hearing the Fed talk more about the reality of inflation. The debate really is whether it's short-term or long-term. I think that we are seeing it spiked a bit right now because of the increase of Fed stimulus that took place during the pandemic. There's a lot of cash out there. The U.S. savings rate increased from, I think, 8.4 percent to over 13 percent during the pandemic. And so there's a lot of cash chasing goods. And that's our, remember, from our Economics 101 class, too much cash chasing too few goods creates inflation. The question is whether or not it's short term or long term. Personally, I'm of the theory it's relatively short term as we see the supply chain uh, level out and as people begin spending more money on uh, consumables that they deferred during the pandemic as autos become available again after the supply chain shortages in the automobile and uh, the appliance sector and travel and leisure, people will begin spending and traveling again. I think it's expected that holiday travel will will uh, be quite a peak as well as next summer's travel planning assuming we don't have a pandemic 3.0, which looks like it's going to be under
0: control. And you mentioned uh, a lot of money uh, in the environment, uh, some of it from incentives from the government and kind of pent-up demand. Let's talk about housing, single-family homes for a moment. What is the outlook there, according to your report uh, and your interviews?
1: I think most of the statisticians still believe we are 6 to 7 million units short in the housing space. And we've still got a lot of millennials and Gen Zs living at home, deferring their own home formation. So I think the the single-family for sale, the single-family for rent, the multifamily for sale, and the multifamily for rent developers have a very attractive run of maybe five to seven years. So no bubble there. Well, the bubble is in the availability of land. I think the real trick right now is to look at underutilized uh, land parcels in and around the urban center that can be repurposed for housing and really neighborhood, uh, formation as we also take a stand toward neighborhood inclusion, uh, tearing down some of the, uh, racial and diversity and inclusion, uh, constraints that have inhibited neighborhood, uh, growth in some close in suburbs and open up our cities for development without so many constraints. Uh, there's a uh, group called Up for Growth that is trying to educate municipalities on new ways of thinking about density and neighborhood formation that really begins to change some rules that have been in place since the 40s and 50s. And um, you look at cities that have adopted a what I call the three or four for one strategy where you can tear down one single family home and put in four townhomes or or mix density with single family for um, more diverse neighborhood formations, and that's that's got some very attractive use because in some markets today, Michael, it takes eight to twelve years to get um, zoning approval for certain projects, and those just don't underwrite well because the costs go up, um, the the affordability issues are only exacerbated. We need inventory, and we need to make it easier for land use to be adapted to appropriate housing developments.
0: Amen, brother. Amen.
1: (laughs) And let's talk about
0: cities, uh, central business districts. You know, what is the outlook there, according to emerging trends in real estate 2022?
1: Well, I think that's a great that's a great thought, and it's probably a longer conversation. But I think that the pandemic has created a, um, a worker demand for flexibility to continue this ability to work from home when they desire. And go into the office. And so the central business district will remain important. This is not an either or consideration. It's a both and consider. It's a both and consideration. And the both and means visitation to the office space is going to be a special visitation. It's going to be something where when you go, it's there, you're there for collaboration and brainstorming and discussion, mentoring, product introduction, training. But when it comes to the Heads down work. It's okay to do that at home,
0: right? If you can get the uh, productivity. When you interviewed um, people who do lead companies, CFOs, CEOs, uh, not the interviews of employees, but the interviews of the bean counters, you know what are they saying about the future of office use and this work from home?
1: Um, I think I think productivity and associate satisfaction in our firm has actually been up. But where people are hungry for interaction relates to the opportunities to do business planning, team building, education, collaboration, strategic discussion, whiteboarding. And so I think the office is going to be very important, but its use may change such that it's okay to get your uh, heads down productive work done remotely. But when you come into the office, it's going to be for those uh Special Opportunities for Interaction. We hired 8,000 people during the pandemic at PwC. Many of them are just now beginning to meet colleagues uh, on their teams in person because they've only interacted with them virtually. I think the mental health issues of depriving associates of personal interaction takes a longer-term toll, and we've got to catch it before it becomes a problem. That's why I think this is an either-or opportunity. Uh, Excuse me, it's a both-and opportunity, not an either-or opportunity.
0: Yeah, and it seems like there's diverging views when I talk to to folks, and it seems like it's kind of ever changing as well. What did your respondents tell you?
1: So, it's interesting. We did some CFO pulse surveys before we did the emerging trends survey. And during the pandemic, 82% of CFOs were saying we're going to use this as an opportunity to reduce our real estate footprint. That was in April of 2020. By January 1st, 2021, as we were beginning to make plans to come out of the pandemic, 51% of those same CFOs said, oops, we probably need to expand our footprint. And we need to look at things like hub and spoke real estate, where we have a, a central headquarters, but we have spoke uh, offices that are easy for people to get to. We need to think about uh, undensifying space that we have perhaps overdensified. And so I think that's why you see so many office users today rethinking the way they use the office, redesigning it, and the architects are having a field day helping people rethink and redesign the workplace.
0: Yeah, and I think it's about time. I think we were cramming too many people in too little space, and uh, the space wasn't healthy enough.
1: Agreed. And you bring up a good point about health. I think back to the ESG point, air quality in the buildings is also becoming very important as higher level filtration systems really add to the safety of occupancy of the space. And we've borrowed a lot of information and te- technology from the healthcare care and hospitality industries to make our workplaces safer and cleaner.
0: Yeah, and we needed to do that. We're talking to Byron Carlick about the t- emerging trends in real estate 2022 And one of the things, Byron, you touched on um, earlier uh, was retail. And certainly retail has seemed to be booming in a lot of places, but then you look at some of the central business districts where a lot of these high-rises aren't uh, as fully occupied as they should be, and there's some retail struggling. What do your respondents say? What does the report say about retail?
1: Well, retail is is an important part of our lives, but it comes in two different dimensions. One is the convenience of e-commerce that we continue Seeing growing exponentially. I mean, if not, you know, probably 20 to 25% a year. And it really spiked during the pandemic. But we still crave that interaction with the merchandise and the buying experience. And so you see the retail industry reacting by uh, spending more time making visitation to a store experiential, valuable, educational, and an opportunity to have a direct connection with the retailer of your choice when it comes to special event clothing you still want to go try it on you're not going to buy a tuxedo or an evening gown very often just through the mail when it comes to electronics you're happy to go to a showroom to see what's available and then consider buying it online but you still want to see how it works you want to see the new pixel technology in the television you want to see the various ranges of earbuds And so retailers are figuring out how to make store visitation very special while uh, choosing to sometimes shrink footprint on redundant real estate, but with a careful analysis using data and the improved data analytics that we have to determine where their stores ought to be in relation to where their customers and prospects are. And so you're seeing the intersection of data, technology, store location, store delivery, store experience become much more sophisticated.
0: Well, Byron, you may uh, get your evening gowns in person, but I prefer to order mine online. (laughs) So so the future of retail. So retail's not dead in person, bricks and (laughs) mortar.
1: Retail is not dead, but it's going through a major transformation. And so the way we interact with retail is changing dramatically. One thing that's held its own very, very impressively during the downturn has been neighborhood service retail and uh the the need for grocery anchored retail stores near concentrations of population whether you uh order online pick up or have it delivered you still want a store nearby that you can count on with better food fresher vegetables and that relationship with the vendor has actually tightened and so I think the real question is what happens to BNC Malls? And that transformation had already started before the pandemic, but it has accelerated during, and now you're seeing developers look at those large parcels with lots of parking lots as great opportunities for development and redevelopment.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a good property, right? It's good real estate.
1: Most of it, Michael, was always very well located. Right. And, and some of the demise um, of those properties came from you know very difficult lease considerations from the anchors from leases that were written sometimes you know literally back in the 50s and 60s and if those retailers went out uh, it gave other tenants the opportunity to also leave and so there was a quick vacancy acceleration but the real estate was always pretty darn good and look at those parking ratios of five spaces per 1,000 of, of feet it gave a big footprint for consideration of redevelopment and um turning that big mall inside out and and taking a store anchor spot and putting a mid-rise apartment or hotel there um building out those out parcels there some of the some of the retail that is being vacated or redeveloped is going to become very fine mixed-use real estate
0: and of course multifamily and industrial have been doing well and are expected to do well moving forward Was there anything that kind of stood out to you from the report uh, related to either one of those specialties?
1: Well, multifamily and industrial for the third year in a row were the top categories for investment. The big accelerant this year in the sentiment was the interest in what we call alternative real estate outside the four major food groups of office, industrial, retail, and multifamily. And that is the acceleration of interest in data centers, life sciences, medical office buildings even self-storage. Those are small pieces of the real estate inventory square footage taken as a whole, but they are imp- important for tracking some interesting uh, trends in society as we need, as we rely on data centers <clears throat> for secure transmission, as we rely on very expensive lab space in the life sciences area to improve our health and well-being, <clears throat> And as we look at, um, the transformation of the healthcare delivery system and their need for different types of real estate to deliver healthcare services.
0: Yeah, we've certainly seen that uh, as well. And on the brokerage side, uh, the demand for all those uh, property types. And let's talk about location preferences. You know, it seems like there's been a good bit of migration. People have been able to kind of work from anywhere. Uh, what's the report tell us there?
1: Well, it told us that the urban the urban um, exodus was real during the pandemic. We're now watching the, the the boomerang back to cities like New York and D.C., not so much with Chicago and San Francisco. But one thing that has been very clear, Michael, has been the growth of cities in what we call the Smile region going down the uh, mid-Atlantic through the South southwest and up uh, the west coast. And I think that when you see how hard uh, cities like Phoenix, Scottsdale, were during the global financial crisis and how quickly they've come back during and post-pandemic. That's testament to that. But there's a bigger theme also around um, uh, the attractiveness of states that are pro-business with lower taxation. So we have to continue to watch the abilities of New York, Chicago, L.A., San Francisco uh, attuning themselves to that sensitivity to still be business attractive. They may be great lifestyle cities, and I think that's very important. It's very hard to replace the cultural infrastructure of a city like New York or London. But when taxation becomes um, so high that cities that don't have that become equally attractive, like a Nashville or an Austin, we've seen a big migration. 375 people a day are moving into the Dallas, the DFW Metroplex. And, um... Texas is a very pro-business, welcoming, uh, no-state no income tax state, just like Tennessee. And those uh, those states have become very attractive for migrants.
0: We're talking with Byron Carlick about the 2022 emerging trends in real estate. And, and Byron, one of the things that investors like to look at is kind of the downside risk. What were some of the major risk factors that came out from the report that we should watch out for?
1: I think the two biggest were talent and construction costs, and so if you remember during the summer we had seen a um literally i mean three fold spike in the cost of lumber and uh, concrete and steel up and so the cost of materials and then the availability and cost of labor uh both both can be smoothed through um, supply chain improvements um, and immigration policy improvements. And so we, we cannot deny the need for labor. We have a talent shortage in those trades. We need to be um, more cognizant of training skilled workers in our um, high schools and community colleges. The wages are terrific, and it's okay not to go to college and choose a trade. And we've got to change that mantra so that it becomes more attractive for cultivating the next generations of talent in those areas. In addition, there's a huge push in the areas of diversity and inclusion to bring more diverse workforce into the real estate industry. And um, um, we've got a long way to go, but we, we are making strides. And I think the first step is the acknowledgement. And this year's sentiment was clearly toward that acknowledgement.
0: Byron, I could talk to you for, <laughs> for days, especially after you, you guys have just went through this huge uh, report on Trends in Real Estate. But we want to end it up here. But I want to leave with this. Where are the opportunities, Byron? What do you see?
1: I think there is a great opportunity around utilizing underutilized infrastructure in our third and fourth tier cities. So really, post-World War II forward, we began migrating to six major cities on the coasts, Boston, New York, D.C., Miami, L.A., San Francisco. The pandemic really allowed people to say, if I don't have to be in those cities, where am I going to go? And many people began going home, if you will, to smaller cities where they were reared. Many of those smaller cities had experienced huge population declines over a 40-year period. And there's an opportunity to look at the infrastructure of underutilized cities and see what can be done to use that infrastructure for the benefit of population needing housing and places to live and work if they're going to be working remotely. In addition, we saw in between those uh, third- and fourth-tier cities, second- and third-tier cities experience great growth, and there's a lot to do in those emerging 18-hour cities as they have really worked hard through city leadership to improve their quality of life, improve their education, neighborhoods, green space, culture, healthcare, security, And those are things that are important to us as we choose where we're going to live. If technology enables that choice, there are a lot of attractive places to live that are more affordable than some of the major cities. But yet the cultural and the technology and some of the leadership issues around major change drivers still exist in the major cities. So it's worth watching cities like Raleigh-Durham and Austin and Nashville and Salt Lake City and even Boise, Idaho, as emerging cities that have quality of life, technology, education that are um, that give alternatives to the expense of the major cities. Does that make sense? It does certainly, and
0: we certainly see the also the crime sometimes in some of these larger cities uh, are pushing some folks uh, away. I know I was in a I won't mention the city, but one of the major cities you mentioned uh, during uh, the height of COVID, and there were so few people there and. And so much crime, you felt like you're about to be a victim. I hope as more people get back into their offices and back in these downtowns, uh, some of that gets reversed. But Byron, what would you leave our audience with to think about as a a trend to consider moving forward uh, that came out of this emerging trends uh, for real estate 2022?
1: Michael, the most heartwarming element of this report to me was that the real estate industry has embraced its role in being change makers for society building climate-sensitive product, addressing affordable housing, addressing workforce housing, addressing quality of life issues as we build brick-and-mortar um, structures and make our cities better. Uh, I'm reminded once again of a quote Mr. Crowe gave us in my first year leasing class who said, people think we're in the real estate business, but we're really in the community betterment business. I really felt like that sentiment came through loud and clear in this year's Emerging Trends
0: Survey. You know, and that's great to hear. Uh, that, I think uh, commercial real estate can continue to be kind of a leading um, sector of, of the industries around the world. Byron, sir, thank you for joining us. Great information. Thank you so much, Michael. Take uh, care. All right. And if you'd like to know more information, I'll, we'll have a link to the Emerging Trends in Real Estate 2022 report at our website. Our website is CREshow.com and just look for the show uh, that's titled Emerging Trends in Real Estate. And hey, please let us know what you think. We appreciate uh, you sharing the show and connecting with us on your favorite social media. So until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn and laugh and join us for America's commercial real estate show. America's Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Buxton. Take leasing, site selection, and due diligence to the next level. Make the right decisions with on-demand mobile data. Visit buxtonco.com. By Bull Realty. For proven commercial real estate asset and occupancy solutions, contact me. My email is michael at bullrealty.com. By Commercial Agent Success. Expert level commercial real estate broker training cloud access one up to 21 one-hour videos. Visit commercialagentsuccess.com. Thank you for reviewing, subscribing, and sharing America's commercial real estate show.